Bush latte? Oh, yeah. Always. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Anthony Heller. Today is, I don't know, October 10th, and this is episode number six, and we're going to go over uh, hunting tactics for October. So essentially how October breaks down and the different cycles that actually occur within a deer's behavior during October and how you can kind of capitalize on that. I know a lot of people think that deer just do the same thing all the time, but actually in reality, you have different phases of deer behavior every two to three weeks, um, starting right now from, you know, early season to pre-rut to rut to post-rut and then late season, they're doing different things all the time based on that time frame. So we're going to kind of cover a lot of stuff on that. Uh, we're going to pretty much stick to October and we'll bleed into November a little bit, but uh, trying to just stick with October for what's coming up over the next few weeks. And also this is pretty cool because I have my first guest with me and it's uh, one of my best friends. His name's Parker Washa. He has been the guy that I've personally learned the most from. He's gotten a lot of really nice deer. He hunts a, a fairly large family farm. Um, it's a bunch of it's the neighbors as well, and he gets access to that. But overall, he has some pretty unique scenarios that I think a lot of you guys can learn from. So that with that introduction, Parker, tell me, <laughs> tell tell me and anybody who's listening kind of about your your hunting life. Oh, that was uh, that was good. Thank you. Thank for the welcome. It's good to be here. Um, kind of like you said, I do uh, most of my deer hunting down southwest Wisconsin, uh, in the Driftless area, uh, kind of north of Dodgeville. We do have it's a pretty good chunk of land. We have um, about 350 acres that we have access to hunt at least. Um, but there is, oh, I don't know, probably a dozen other hunters um, during bow season, during gun season. I mean, you can pretty much double that sometimes, but <laughs> it's it's private land, you know, there's <clears throat> definitely some perks with that, but it does see a lot of pressure and it uh, it butts up to pretty large chunk of public land also. So some pluses oh, yeah. and minuses for <clears throat> that as well. Yeah, I always forget you got that public on the on that backside that it kind of kind of almost horseshoes around a little bit. Yeah, on the one end it does. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, cool. So October hunting tactics. I kind of want to just go through this chronologically. So for me, and tell me if you disagree with this, Parker, but for me, the early season and kind of hunting food sources and trails in and out and kind of sticking to the very you know, kind of far edges of bedding areas, that type of hunting tactic runs until October 15th, roughly when generally the pre-rut starts. Would you say that's about right? Yeah, it's, I'd say it's pretty accurate. Um, you know, I'll still target food sources uh, a little later into October, but, um, but for the most part, yeah, you're pretty spot on there. Okay. So, so, so about October 15th ish, depending on where you are, you know, we're in Southern Wisconsin. So, you know, it varies based on your geographic location as well. You know, down South, it's going to be later or it can be later and further North you go, it can be starting right now. Um, but it's all dependent on, 
on deer like when they when does go into estrus really and the bucks kind of get a little antsy so somewhere between october 15th to 20th is kind of the beginning of the pre-rut and then when would you parker say the official like when do you consider the beginning of the rut uh it depends you know how you're gonna define the rut um I mean, you're going to see a lot of chasing starting up, you know, around that Halloween, the week before Halloween. Um, but physical rut, you know, people, I, I think people can get drawn to seeing that chasing and kind of harassing that the younger bucks are doing. And they'll actually call that the rut. You know, if you want to <laughs> get technical with me? Yeah, here. no, no, that's, no, uh, it's always fun. Because like October 20th or so, you usually see, a couple posts that's like guys the rut's on oh yeah saw, saw <laughs> like, the, ah. a buck just chasing a doe you know <laughs> but they're right. literally just they're just doing that the especially the younger bucks they're out there just harassing the does they don't sometimes don't even fully understand what's going on you know those year and a half old bucks but um you, you do start to see kind of that seeking harassing chasing um, yeah, I, I'd say typically that week, the week of Halloween or right around there. Okay. Uh, but that'll draw out, you know, obviously get more intense, more aggressive, um, into November, you know, the second week, November, usually I would say is the full blown rut, we'll call it. Okay. So like November 7th ish to like the 24th, you think the rut lasts like two weeks? Yeah, that's probably safe. It's probably safe. I mean, Wisconsin's tough because, you know, it trails into gun season. As soon as those shots are flying, you know, it it changes what you actually see. But I'm sure at night, I mean, that rut's still going pretty strong that first weekend of gun season. No, I remember, yeah, I remember the Sunday of gun season. I hunted your place one time, and I had bucks fighting and grunting and everything before light. You know, I was out there. I was down in the bottom by the food plot, kind of back towards the public there. And, uh, yeah, I remember hearing bucks going at it and grunting and everything. And I was in there about a half hour, 45 minutes before light. The second that sun trickled over, boof, it just stopped and they were done. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's uh, it's <laughs> like, common once the shots are flying. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of how October breaks down. So in the early season um in the early october we're gonna say before october 15th what are you doing for hunting tactics like i know you mentioned kind of food sources but i mean are you going after food plots acorns what specifically like if you're going to target food sources before october 15th and even into you know october 15th to the 20th and 25th what are you gonna actually look for in terms of food sure so at least in Wisconsin, um, you know, most of the soybeans by then are pretty well browned out. There's not much green leaf left really at all. So I'm starting to rule soybeans out almost completely. Corn, you know, it's kind of on its in-between stage. It's not green. It's not fully browned out. They're starting to pick some silage. Um, but oh, just real quick, when when soybeans brown out like right now they're going to be like non-nutritious and and deer don't like them at all right now but come winter 
they become a premium food source. And it has something to do, I'm not fully versed on that, but it has something to do with the sugars. Like mm-hmm. standing beans are a premium food source in like mid, late December, January, and February, right? Yep, I think you're right. It's something with the sugars when it um, freezes, um, starches, turn to sugar, something like that. And it, it makes them very attractive. Um, right. Where okay, so- actually, yeah, late season, I'd almost prefer soybeans over corn in some instances yeah. i i fully agree with that i i like standing standing soybeans better than like cut corn yeah the fine. <laughs> yeah it is it is no one wants to leave those beans up yeah. but i just wanted to make sure that point was clear because some people um think that you know you see a late season hunt and they're in standing soybeans and then they're like oh standing soybeans must be a good food source then you get into them and actually that's only like late season like mid-December to later, you know, this time frame right now, like unless the field's completely green, that first speck of yellow, you know, pretty much deer almost start to just totally avoid it. So if you have beans, probably not a good food source. But anyway, keep going, Parker. You were saying corn. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't know if it's that they completely avoid the beans because they don't like them or whatever, but I think there's so many other food sources for them right now uh, that beans are just low on the list. Sure. Once, once you start seeing hard frost and all that, I think that's when that starch starts to um, turn to sugars. But like I say, right now you got corn, alfalfa still going strong, acorns, all kinds of browse in the woods that's you know still green and available for them. So, no, that's a great point. That's just it's not that it's a bad food source; it's just that yeah. there's better ones out there. Exactly, that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if, if all you got is a soybean field, and that's the only uh, kind of major uh, food source for miles, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate to hunt it. But, you know, preferred preferred food source this time of year, I would, if you got green alfalfa that's lush and great, that's tough to beat. Um, that goes kind of, I would argue, through the whole month of October and, I mean, September. Good alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that um, that and acorns. Acorn. Yeah, I've always been like that's my favorite is acorns. Um, mm-hmm. it just for some reason like you get in an area and, and you just hear them falling and it's just like a dinner bell. Oh yeah. It's like yep. come on, <laughs> come yeah, on over only, here. <laughs> my only like, I don't know. I guess it's like a hesitation with acorns, right? I've never, I've never sat in a tree stand and watched. A herd of deer, you know, mow through a pile of acorns in the woods. You That's, see that yeah. often with alfalfa. Maybe it's literally just the visibility is a little different when they're in the woods versus a wide open alfalfa field. But I just feel like when the alfalfa is present, there's deer in it. Right. No, no, I would agree with that. It kind of seems like deer just kind of pick away at acorns versus mm, just yeah. sit there and chow like they right. would. It's like alfalfa. a almost like an opportunity you know as they're going to a primary food source they're munching on sure on the way yeah no that makes sense and that's yeah i mean i've i've heard i've kind of talked about that a little bit on the podcast is that if you're not seeing deer in the fields like get in the woods to those acorns to those oak trees and you'll probably catch them in daylight hours there versus out on the actual field yeah yeah and that's and that's a really good point especially in october you know if you're hunting a marginal weather day call it or an average day 
they're not necessarily going to be coming out in the fields half an hour before daylight or 15 minutes before daylight. You might have to catch them in the woods. And in that case, you know, hunting in a big oak ridge where there's acorns piling out of it, they're going to stage on those ridges or any kind of those hillsides until it's dark and they feel safe to come out into those fields. Sure. So you met, you mentioned one thing right there, uh, they stage. One of the things that I always had problems with when you like read Bowhunter magazine and you read everything, you listen to stuff, people are always like, find the staging areas. And I never, no one ever said, this is a staging area. <laughs> so what, uh, <laughs> can you do your best to describe what a staging area is? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's probably two ways I'd look at that. You know, one is more strictly around food, something like like acorns. Um, or like I say, they're, they're up out of their beds, say half an hour before daylight and they got to go 200 yards to get to a primary food source agriculture field. Okay. Along the way, you know, they're browsing essentially cautiously, slowly moving just through the woods, opportunistically feeding on acorns or any kind of browse. So a lot of times you can, if you have like a really brushy field edge and then the back side of that once you're inside the woods kind of starts to open up and especially sure. if you've got a, a bunch of uh, oak trees in there i would consider that as, as you know a bit of a staging area where okay. they're going to come in there hang out in cover of the woods browse on acorns any other kind of leafy browse that's available and wait until they're safe and comfortable enough to take the last you know 50 or 100 yards out into that field right which is usually like past dark yeah you know if it gets dark at seven they're kind of wandering into that field around 7 20 7 30 and that's why you always jump deer <laughs> on yeah, your way exactly. out is because they just weren't quite there yet exactly yeah and i think when i started that whole rant i think you know kind of the second part um that I would consider a staging area was more with like um, game trails that are running parallel to like a field edge. Sure. And especially as October progresses, you know, some does might be coming into heat. The bucks are, the bucks are for sure ready. You know, they're going to be kind of walking those interior um, trails that are 20, 40, 50 yards off the edge of the field. And they're literally just scent checking. And if they oh, okay. get if they get any bit of a whiff of a doe that's you know ready or just about ready to come into estrus, they're gonna know it before they're even in the field before they're exposed, and sure. I mean, it kind of gives them a little bit of time to think you know is it safe to go out? Well, there's more deer out there, must be safe. And then yeah, do you think so? Here's 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 a scenario for you is like you know a, a bucks let's just say you got a, you got a ridge top that's a, an alfalfa field and you got that brushy edge all the way around. That's, you know, whatever, 10 yards wide. And then after that kind of drops down a little bit, um, into, into a bowl or just drops off the ridge a little bit and just outside and down in that bowl or that bottom area, you got some oaks and then past that, you got some thick cover. So essentially the deer are going to bed in that thick cover, get in those oaks and then, go through that little brush screen and then they're out in the field. Yep. If you're trying to target a buck that's 
quote unquote in that staging area, that that staging trail. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think he's going to run that ridge, that trail that's just in between the the brush and the oaks? Is he going to run that trail and hope that he catches does coming out to the field so they'd still be down in that like oak flat or is he like later at night running it to sniff or to smell does that are already in the field and the wind's blowing in his face i'm just thinking about a setup like if you're trying to set up on a on deer like in your do you want the wind blowing out into the field or do you want it blowing down into the woods yeah no uh, this is actually um one of the little things I jotted down to talk about, this is still one of the things I constantly have an internal battle with, right? Um, Especially hunting driftless area. This is quite common actually, where let's say that sloped, you said down into the Oak flats, a North facing hillside and uh, the fields on top. So if there's a South wind, it's blowing from the field, to the oak flat or the oak bottom sure that valley so if there's a trail that's paralleling that field edge a buck could walk that trail and the wind is blowing from the field to him the whole time so he can be scenting that field without you know checking the field to see who's all out there without ever poking his head out sure that's where that's where I have my internal debate, right? Because that's a very tough setup because realistically, if you plop down in the middle of that to be able to shoot that trail or shoot the field, you could have your scent blowing right into the bedding area or the oak flat if they're staging in there. Right. So if you'd picture you're hunting, you know, in that situation with a pure south wind, you might be in trouble. You need to wait until you have, say, like a southwest wind and get just on the edge of where you'd be able to have him straight below you, be able to get a shot through a lane, but he hasn't caught your wind yet. But the wind is technically <laughs> blowing his direction, kind of. Right. It's kind of like that slightly off wind that's just mm-hmm. perfect. It's perfect exactly. enough that he take- thinks it's in his favor the whole yes. time. Yes. If he takes five, 10 more steps, he's got you. Right. So you just have to catch him before that. Yep. And you got to hope that he comes from that direction. And you got to hope he's the first deer to do it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true too. That's where the internal debate comes, right? Oh yeah. You get a small buck, you know, a little fork running through first. Exactly. And he blows the whole woods out. So spots like that, setups like that. I think that is one of the more ideal setups. Okay. But I'm not going to hunt it just on a whim. I'm going to have yeah. trail camera pictures in there in daylight with a similar type wind. I'm going to, you know, have some kind of indication that he's in there. And that revolves a lot around the scouting. But. Sure. You know, actually, like, this is funny. And I, I didn't even mean for this to happen. But this is exactly how we killed that buck that, like three or four years ago when I filmed you killing that yep. last buck down in the bottom, like we were sitting on that edge, then the, then the wind switched and then we dropped down into the bottom mm-hmm. and then that buck just came out and thank God we moved down there or thank God the wind switched right. because otherwise he would have picked us a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, it was blowing. Yeah. It was technically blowing down into that bottom, but I think it was, well, it'd be to the south of where he was at. So it was just right. enough where he wasn't in the wind stream, but he was definitely walking into the wind when he was walking at us. Yeah. No, that makes sense. If you hear typing, I'm trying to find the name of that video, like what I actually called it. So that, okay. It's just bow hunting, Wisconsin, whitetail deer, Anthony Heller. So if you just type that in, Anthony Heller, bow hunting, Wisconsin, whitetail deer, 143 inch buck. The thumbnail is Parker standing there. And uh, yeah, you can watch it. It's got like 20, yeah, 25,000 views. So um, yeah, it's a great, great little video that we put together. Um, not tooting my own horn, but it was really cool that it all came together exactly how it did. It wasn't like, you know, we didn't think it was going to come together like that at all. <laughs> we were right. You're we making a last pissed. minute move, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What it got, it got dark at six 30 and we moved at like five 40. Yeah. Like it was, we were in the stand for like 30 minutes. It yeah. was ridiculous, but yeah, no, no, that makes, okay. So that's, um, that's how that situation would play out running like hopefully and in that in that situation where that buck's running that field edge kind of scent checking and whatnot is that like a late october thing is that a mid-october is that a rut thing i think that's getting later that's like halloween if you got uh if you got a nice cold front around halloween that is my go-to right there okay they're you know typically at that point does haven't been harassed so much that they're kind of taking cover they're still coming out in the fields with plenty of light left hanging out in potentially you know big groups of them out in fields and they'll they'll have little bucks out there be bopping around them but sure i mean the bigger mature bucks are they're smarter they're going to take their time not waste a bunch of energy you know chasing around some does that quite frankly just aren't ready yet so right that's where i think they're going to really utilize those those parallel trails i'll call them and if they get any bit of a whiff that one's, you know, close or ready, oh, yeah, they're going up there. But they're sure. not just going to go up there just because. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So we kind of jumped from the early from the early season food sources, and we kind of made that leap with the staging areas, right, all the way to the end of October. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of talk about the pre-rut a little bit. Sure. So October 15th, 20th pre-rut starts, Mm. uh, in general, like I kind of define the pre-rut as when like scrapes really start opening up. I know some scrapes are being made right now, but it's kind of, I don't want to call them one-offs, but they're usually smaller bucks right now. And they're just trying to, they're like figuring out, oh, wow, I can you know, make a scrape and I can, you know, lick this branch and stuff like that. Some of them are hit at this time frame, like only once, like small bucks might make a scrape and then never hit it again. Cause it's just not a good scrape area at all. And they just did it because they could. I've seen yeah. that. I've had that happen on trail cameras where I'm like, Oh, this looks like a good scrape. And I never yeah. get any pictures of anything else. Yeah, they, it. You know, they might <laughs> even have a, a little standoff with another small buck and they'll you know, get all bristled up and make a scrape right where they're standing. Could be right in the middle of a field. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll just do it because. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, no. And that's, yeah, just because they can. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so that's when, that's what I consider kind of the pre-run is when the scrapes really start opening up. And then I also wanted to cover rubs. A lot of people, 
I mean, you see it every year. It's like, oh, there's a there's a rub. I'm gonna hunt these rubs. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's very few situations where I'm actually gonna hunt a rub. Yep. Um, is that same way with you? Yeah, hundred percent. I've okay. never. I, I don't even know if I can say I've ever set up on a rub line. <laughs> okay (laughs) specifically like i found a rub line and i set my tree stand 20 yards off of it or whatever and that's what i was hunting it's more i think i use them more as like a reassurance type thing you know you find a great big trail and boom there's a couple nice rubs right off that trail it's like hey sweet you know a nice buck's using this it's just kind of that little bit of yeah reassurance i'd call it sure that so what do you consider so to kind of so overall you're kind of saying would you rather hunt if you had the choice between hunting a scrape and a rub what would you hunt yeah i'd hunt an active scrape for sure okay so before we jump into scrapes then what do you you mentioned uh a nice rub what do you consider like a nice rub when you look at one and you go that's a big deer what are you looking at (laughs) it's a a trick question (laughs) what do they say big deer or all deer rub small trees but only big deer rub big trees something like that (laughs) it's uh you know when you're getting into a good size rub it's forearm size and bigger i'd say okay um but i'd say the bigger thing for me is you see some trees that are just kind of scratched up a little bit maybe they got some of the branches broken off whatever but if you find a, I mean, a forearm or, or for sure a, a like a bicep sized tree that's just polished, I mean that was a pretty significant deer that was able to do that. Okay, yeah, I I I agree with that. I also I look a little bit on the height side, like how high it is off the ground too. Oh sure. Like the taller the deer, right? The most likely the older they are, mm-hmm. and then the other big giveaway is like if there's trees around it. And they're getting rubbed mm-hmm. too. You can almost tell the width. Oh yeah, definitely. Deer, right. I always love like getting when you behind see the trees or whatever. Yeah, exactly. When you see one tree and then like you know a foot behind it, there's marks. There's time marks. marks. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's that's when I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is a nice deer. <laughs> yeah, <it gets laughs> he's, he's at least got foot long tines. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh. Okay, so the rubs and just if I were to hunt a rub line at all. Just for anybody who's like, oh, I, you can't find scrapes or there aren't any scrapes on the piece that you're hunting or anything. And you see a lot of rubs. The only time per, I personally would ever set up on one is if it's like a definitive trail that's got a rub line on it. You know, like every 10 to 20 yards, there's a rub or closer. And then it goes into a really thick area. And that thick area is probably a bedding area, most likely. And that buck is kind of just making rubs as he's going in there and he's kind of saying this is my house and uh if that's the scenario and i know that there's like a buck in that in that bedding area then i might set up on that rub line but other than that i mean to me personally like you can you can go onto a 50 acre property and find 60 rubs and never see a deer on there during daylight hours versus seeing one scrape and you could see deer on there like every other day yeah you know yeah on uh i'll add to that you know if you you just can't find a scrape you're stuck to rubs i would say you know that's like behind my parents house actually down in the marsh I oh i sure. found a total of two scrapes there 
entire time I've hunted back there and they've been in the same two spots every year. <laughs> <laughs> and that's but, like 15 years. Yeah. That you've yeah. Hunted there. Since yeah. that's where I started hunting essentially. So yeah. maybe even longer, but, yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's all marsh. It's like, they can't make a scrape in a big pile of water. So all they got to do is make rubs, but sure. you know, just, just a note. I mean, you'll see half of a tree rubbed. Right. It's usually not the entire circumference of a tree. Yeah. Indicating that deer was coming at the tree from that direction. So if you're seeing rubs, like, I don't know, if you're seeing them head into a a bedding area, right? And the rubs are on the side of the tree. Like, if you're looking at a bedding area and the rubs are facing you, that would indicate that he walks into that bedding area from where you're at. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes total sense. Yeah. So like you were to get there. So yeah, I mean, a great scenario for that would be like, say you hunt a spot in an evening and Mm -hmm. nothing happens. You go back to that same spot the next evening and all of a sudden there's rubs and they're all on one side of the tree, Mm -hmm. meaning that that buck passed through there like that night or maybe that morning and he went that direction. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you might hunt, you know, you might have this, ideal rub line that you're hunting going from food to bed or whatever and you might hunt it every night for a week and like you say and never see a deer but if you look at the rubs it's like oh the rubs are indicating he's coming out of the bedding area or coming back to the bedding area in the mornings so he's only using that rub line in the mornings and you've been hunting it in the evenings the whole time he could take something in the evening that's a great piece of advice right there. Yeah. Is, no, it always, that's where... is it always the case? No, but it's an indicator at least. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Because there's a lot of people who don't, like, I mean, if you're hunting public or you just don't have trail cameras, like, mm-hmm. you don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. And if you can't drop a trail camera on there and figure it out, then that's a great way to de- decide and try to hunt that. I right. personally really like to, one of my strategies, just to attack onto that as well, is to hunt the same spot um, right away or at night and then right away again the next morning. Yeah. So, so yeah, you set up and say you don't see anything at night. Well, maybe that's a morning spot. So then you go right back there the next morning and hunt it. And to me, there's like, it gives you an idea as to what's going on during that time frame. But then it also uh, keeps your, like, allows them very little time to figure out that you were there via your scent. Exactly. You know, so you can still catch them by surprise by doing that versus hunting it in a few days or something. Exactly. And you kind of get the double whammy on the scent, right? It's only in one area, but you're hunting it day and night and then you get out of there. Right. Yeah. And then it's, yep, it's that one time sit and you're out. Okay. So that's kind of rubs. So let's jump over to scrapes. So scrapes are really starting to opening up. I'm getting a lot of questions on my Instagram about scrapes, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, do all deer hit scrapes? Should I leave trail cameras on scrapes? Um, you know, do does hit scrapes? Are they on scrapes every day? Or is it only bucks? Or what's the deal? So can you just kind of run through what a scrape is, who hits it, and like what it like what its purpose is? Sure. So I think you hit it already. There is, you know, there's going to be multiple kinds of scrapes, we'll call it. Um, but essentially, scrape's just going to be a patch in the dirt that deer you know paw it with their hooves kind of clear the dirt 
there's typically a, a sort of a licking branch it's called overhead you know it's going to be at about your shoulder to head height that they're transferring scent to um what is that scent gland called on their face um can't even think of it right now but big scent know. gland on their face they they're rubbing that um on the tree and then they'll go and actually pee in the scrapes and it's just kind of a way to you know mark where they're at mark that they're in the area or in some cases you know they'll try to claim an area potentially but i think you'll see like along field edges especially you'll see more um we'll call them community scrapes where okay small bucks big bucks does everything will use these scrapes no one really claims it right and they'll actually what i've seen is they'll use those scrapes essentially year round i'll i'll set the up community cam- yeah these community scrapes okay i'll set up trail cameras on those in july and they're frequently visited again does bucks everything and okay all the way through into november so gotcha. those are i mean if you're hunting meat man those are tough to beat right there they're usually pretty big um you in know, like diameter you're saying yep the dirt spot, okay we'll call it is usually pretty big couple two three feet in diameter at least um be a pretty good licking branch typically you know if you're looking for these and kind of walking a field edge you can be watching ahead and just look for snapped branches that are hanging out into the field again okay. at height, that's good usually going to be a pretty good indicator that there's a scrape right there whether sure. or not it's a community scrape or not you know hard to tell so you yeah for a while but yeah hunt or drop a trail camera on it and just check it out yeah and i think you know this time of year um early to mid mid to kind of mid or late october like i say those are going to be kind of your hot spots for scrapes um as you progress into october you'll see more scrapes start to show up actually in the woods not necessarily um like along a field line i've seen them you know on four-wheeler trails hiking trails um just off of deer trails just a couple feet um i think those are better to hunt though later in the in the month or into into november those are kind of some of my target areas but uh versus those field edge community scrapes yeah i think once and you'll see it once the leaves um start falling really hard those field edge scrapes get covered up it's like it's kind of weird it's like there's a light switch um, you know probably a week or a week and a half from today you know kind of around the the 20th where all of a sudden these scrapes just light up all like all along the fields you could walk a field line and literally find a scrape every 20 yards and it could have been from the same deer a deer will just come through there and hammer it right and you could hunt make 10 of them yeah and you can hunt those as, as much as you want and might never see them. It's like they came through once and that's it. And the leaves will drop and the leaves will cover them up. Uh, you know, they'll cover up the community scrapes too. But if you find a true community scrape, you usually see at least a couple of little scratch marks from some hooves. Could have been a doe, could have been a small buck, could have been a big buck. But those sure. other scrapes will get kind of covered up. And it seems like they kind of go untouched for two weeks, three weeks, maybe. And then all of a sudden they'll get hammered again. <laughs> it's like, 
Huh. It's like they're doing a loop or like a lap, you know, and that was the kind of their second visit. Sure. So, Maybe they just got, yeah, they got busy. They got sidetracked with chasing actual does around and not worrying about. Well, I feel spray. like, I feel like when that happens, you know, it's, it's around the first time that bucks are, you know, really getting serious. Maybe at that point, you know, they're covering a ton of ground and they find a hot doe. And they just don't make it back for a couple of weeks, you know, by the time they yeah. leave that, well, then they're finding another one and another one and then another one. Right. And right. It just takes them two or three weeks to get back. And yeah. I don't, those are ones where they're exciting when you see them, but at the same time, those are almost like a reassurance one where it's okay. just, a, it's just a small scrape. You know, it's not like, it's not a big dirt patch, but it's clear defined, you know, one, a, a buck was in there digging it out with his hooves. A lot of times you'll see the hoof drags, but it's not just that established dirt hole, I'll call it. Sure. No, I, yeah. And I know, like, I have a few community scrapes that I put trail cameras on, and they are literally, some of them are like an inch deep. Oh, yeah. Like, they've just been there year over year yeah. over year, and just, and they just dig them out. And that one, there's a couple that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. And they're in like a marshy, like marshy area. And it's just a little bit of high ground. Mm-hmm. And where that little bit of high ground ends, there's a perfect tree for a scrape. A bunch of trails intersect there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just dig it out. And that's how I found them actually was I found them in the winter by just noticing that there was like a hole in the ground. <laughs> like yeah. it almost looked like there was a salt lick there or something. Yeah. You know, like I say, I mean, if you're if you're going to hunt scrapes right now, those are the ones I'm going to be hitting. Okay. So community scrapes, so those real big ones um, right now is what you're saying until, you know, late October, early November. Another another week and a half, two weeks maybe, and then it's switching. Okay. Um, looking for more of those scrape lines for a few days, and then come November, I'm looking for scrapes that are in the woods ultimately. Sure. Okay. No, that makes sense. So um, it would that be – so that would – so we kind of covered rubs, scrapes. Um, in general, one thing I want to tack on to scrapes before we leave that topic is uh, like does will come and pee on those scrapes and then bucks will come and check that to see if the does are in estrus or not. So that's yep. one of the big reasons why they make them. And then I've heard and I've never I haven't tried this tactic yet, but after a good rain, bucks kind of flock to scrapes to re-up. Because a rain will wash a lot of scent away. So I this is what I hear. What do you think of that? Like they'll come there yeah. to re-scent the whole thing and make sure that people still know they're there or that the other deer still know they're there because all that rain just washed a lot of it away. Yeah, I'd agree. There's there's probably something to that. I don't know if it's the same buck coming to the same scrape or if it's just the closest buck to that area, you know, decides to hit it that morning and kind of claim it. Sure. Uh, I don't know, but I definitely know, yeah, exactly what you're talking about. You get a fresh rain and it's mud, mud, mud. And then all of a sudden you find these scrapes and it's just clobbered, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I don't know what it is, but I've, I had it happen a couple years ago and I didn't run my trail cameras well enough last year, but there was like a stretch of like three days where I got a bunch of mature bucks on scrapes and then. Like I had, I had smaller, you know, one to two and a half year old bucks on scrapes from like October 
like 10th to the 23rd and i'll remember it clear as day because on the 23rd this giant showed up and then i got pictures of mature deer like just i got three four giants on one scrape between october 23rd october 26th and then i never saw them again yep <laughs> and i think honestly i think that's kind of that light switch i was talking about where all of a sudden yeah. these scrapes just pop up and i i think i mean you know it's hard to say one way or the other but i think they're they're literally just covering ground and they could make a whole string of them for who knows how long miles sure <laughs> you know not yeah not no 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 the whole way but i like you said, I've never have, seen them again i have trail camera video of a buck one one day he made a scrape and the next day i saw him a mile and a half away mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know and and he was working another scrape so it's like i mean you know in one day he was a mile and a half and that was on that was on public i mean it wasn't too far but i mean he was further too because he came from farther away mm-hmm. so i yeah i mean they'll they'll get moving on that for mm-hmm. sure um okay so we kind of kind of beat scrapes there uh well, but i think we else? so a couple things yeah. to keep going on them i guess no no, no keep um, going Let's... scrapes for me this time of year are like my prime trail camera setup right okay especially you find the community scrape um another thing i've been doing in the more recent years is making a single like big scrape a mock scrape you have yeah okay i mean i make it big like four feet five feet in diameter and it's actually almost like a visual for them well they will physically see it from a fair you know a fair distance and sure. come and investigate and i've had pretty good luck with that um and then the other thing is you know ip and scrapes myself i don't bother with um going through jugs and jugs of buck urine but um if i'm gonna put a trail camera over one or if i'm gonna hunt over one i just pee right in it really <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> no a, that's fine like i have i have no qualms as you well know sitting in the tree stand with me i have no qualms about peeing out of a tree stand yeah i like multiple multiple studies show that it doesn't like piss is piss yeah they say after after what like 30 minutes at all yeah it's pretty much i mean yeah like i'm yeah. sure if you drink a pot and a half of coffee that morning it might take an hour <laughs> right or i ate a ton of asparagus yeah. <laughs> yeah no but okay so so you make that mock scrape and then you just pee right in it and set your trail camera up and away you go yep and you've had really good luck with that i've had good luck with that um trail camera wise okay i haven't sure. i haven't um i guess I'm, I'm just using those trail cameras more I'm relying pretty heavily on those trail cameras this time of year. Okay. And that's essentially trying to just take inventory, I'll call it. Just sure. see, you know, what's in the area, what's hanging out, any visitors coming in that I don't recognize, you know, from from summer months or from previous years. And um, I'm just trying to draw them in. And, you know, I yeah. mean, you know how hard it can be. You're, you're using one camera on a... 20 acre field how do you know they're not just coming out in the other corner and never walking right like it's just that extra little bit of draw and a lot of times it's going to be night pictures it's just kind of how it's kind of how the month of october is honestly there there's a lot of nocturnal activity 
but sure. it's marks that inventory check, see what's hanging out. So then if you're, uh, if you're making that scrape, I'm just trying to put myself myself in somebody's shoes. If I'm trying to make a scrape, like, where do I put it? Do I just put it at like the intersection of a trail or on the field edge or, cause yeah. if I'm like, if I'm hunting public or I'm hunting private and I got other people that are in there, like, am, is, is there a certain situation where you would put it more in the woods or are you always doing a field edge? No, those, those ones I'm typically, typically, uh, I'm just running on a field edge. I'll look okay. for, um, like a big fair sized overhanging branch. For some reason, deer prefer some trees to other trees. Haven't totally figured that one out yet. Sure. But, uh, I've, I've made scrapes under, I would, venture to say every type of tree some of them get harder hit harder than others but if you find a, a good good licking branch is what they're called a uh, good overhanging branch make a big um, deep mock scrape under it try not to touch that licking branch you know with your bare hands or your hat or whatever try to avoid it because that will obviously get um, your own body oils all over the licking branch which is maybe the most sensitive part of the scrape Sure, uh, but I'll just dig that thing out, go in there with a metal rake, or if I got rubber boots on, just go in there and kick it out as best as I can and literally just make it visual. Okay, yeah, so that they're just like trotting along the field edge or they're eating out in the field and they're like, oh, what's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you'll you'll okay. see them as you approach them. It's like, holy sure. smokes. And if you find uh, an, a licking branch from the year before and maybe you got to start looking in September, well, if you don't know where one's at, you know, and you want to get a, a mock scrape started, you might want yeah. to start it more in September. So another deer maybe doesn't even beat you to it, but look for an old licking branch. One that's got some, some of the ends broken off or sometimes heck they'll rip, they'll rip the whole branch down. Um, but as long as there's still something there, you know, use it to your advantage. It's obviously a, an established licking branch, something, something the deer liked about it. So I sure freshen in it a up good area beat them to the punch yeah no that makes sense and i find so i mean if anybody's whoever's listening to this if you're haunting areas and you're just not finding scrapes on field edges i find plenty of scrapes on like trail intersections as well i know like even on the even on my new piece of private that i'm haunting that parker and i went out and scouted it and uh there's that one scrape that we found that we think is a community scrape Cause it was like the intersection of what three or four trails right there. And it was just like a hole in the ground. Yeah. Right. Remember that one on the Northeast side? Yeah. Yeah. We have, yeah, we have similar so. ones on, on uh, like ATV trails on our place. Right down sure. like okay. below the bluff. It's like, yeah, it's probably six oh, inches yeah. deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, I know every year, yeah, every, every single year. year. And it, it actually, I don't know if it's, truly a community scrape they don't start hitting it until like october versus like i say community scrapes will go more kind of year-round activity sure but all of a sudden someone will hit it <laughs> and then it's just like they dig that thing out it's insane yeah all right cool okay so we kind of beat scrapes to death a little bit and we can always talk about them on a later podcast i want to just keep rolling because we're at what almost 50 minutes now uh <laughs> Next thing, you kind of mentioned trail cameras. Uh, so just in general, you know, trail camera strategy, 
I think you and I line up on this perfectly, which is I try to move all my cameras to scrapes, yeah. every single one of them. Yep. Like, and that's all I'm looking at because it's going to tell me what bucks are in the area and more importantly, like what direction they're coming from mm-hmm. and where they're heading to and what time of the day they're doing that. Because then mm-hmm. I can kind of backtrack that to figure out where they're coming from or going to, of course, and yep. then be able to set up in one of those areas. So if, you know, they're picking a scrape up at 5 a.m. before it gets light and I know they're going into a bedding area, then that means that I can hunt that, you know, that evening and hopefully I can catch them coming out of that bedding area or vice versa. Right. I mean, are you in kind of the same boat there? Just like scrapes, scrapes, scrapes? Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, scrapes or just like super heavy um, trails leading out to a pretty good food source. Okay. Um, I guess... I'm, yeah, I, I lean pretty heavy on trail cams right now because I mean, the amount of scouting that you can do is limited and a lot of the movement is nocturnal. Sure. So you kind of almost have to lean on your trail cams, but anytime I do get a, you know, a daytime picture of, of a target buck, I try to kind of backtrack, look at the weather history, see, you know, what was the weather that day? What was the wind? kind of ask the question why you know like why was he there on this day when in daylight when the the other 10 pictures of him i have are all at midnight like what was different about that day and sure. I just try, to, try to inventory that and if i get you know a duplicate weather pattern if it was something specific you know that's where i'm going to be hunting right there okay no that makes a lot of sense so if you're, so if you have, let's just pretend you have a cell cam mm-hmm. and for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's a cellular camera where it sends pictures to your phone. Uh, so you got a cell cam and you're watching a scrape or you got your camera on a scrape and you're only getting pictures of bucks at between 10 PM and 3 AM. Are you going to try to hunt that area? Or are you going to wait until they sh- up in daylight in order to hunt that? Or what are you going to do? Yeah, I'd probably hold off um, unless we get, like, a big weather front that comes through. Um, okay. But if, you know, if it's just a mild, kind of warmer October, I'd tread pretty lightly in those areas. Especially, I mean, especially if you're getting, you know, if you're after mature buck or big buck or whatever, and you're getting pictures of them, but they're always at night, I would tread really lightly in that area. And, you know, I'd have to wait for kind of the perfect weather front, the perfect type of wind to even really think about starting that. Okay. Gotcha. So you, you brought up weather fronts. So I guess that's, that's kind of it for trail cameras, move them to scrapes, get them on scrapes or heavy trails that are leading to a good food source and just keep an eye on them. And if you're getting pictures of a good buck or does or whatever you're after in daylight, then move into that area. But until then kind of, kind of be cautious and, uh, and wait for that, wait for the good opportunities to happen. Uh, I do know that there's like some people out there who hunt, I think it's one of those guys that does like the 200 inch club or whatever they call themselves. Uh, but he was on a podcast once and I was listening to him and he's like, man, I try to only, I try to hunt as few times as I can. I just like to go in and kill and that's it. Yeah. You know, so and he was saying, like, I just use all my trail cameras to tell me everything. And once I see them show up in daylight, I go in there the next day or the following day and I'll hunt it 
for three, four, five days straight until he pops back out in daylight again and I can kill him. And that's it. Yeah. That's, yeah. But, uh, yeah, right. Whatever. (laughs) So, um, so that's kind of, kind of trail cameras in a nutshell. Uh, the next piece, if you're running them, if you're not running them, you know, look for those fresh rubs. Like we were talking about, look for scrapes, look for scrapes that don't have leaves on them. And you'll just have to use, you'll you'll have to, if you don't have trail cameras, you just got to get a lot of experience and a lot of time in the woods. So you just got to, you know, keep an eye on those scrapes, keep an eye on those rubs and just analyze everything and understand like, if this is new the next day or not, you know, like when did this happen? It had to have had to have happened at night or it could have happened in the morning, whatever it is, and just keep narrowing that down. And especially, you know, it's possible we're going to get snow here in the near future um, in Wisconsin. So if you start getting snow, I mean, understanding the tracks and keeping an eye on all those tracks so that you can see exactly what's moving when will really help you out if you're not using a trail camera. Yep. Uh, wanted to jump into weather fronts. You've been kind of mentioning them a lot. Talk about talk about weather fronts and what you're looking for and and what you think they do. Yeah, I think um, you know throughout October you get a lot of what 60, 70 degree days. Um, it really just kind of hunkers them down. I mean they're they're shedding into their winter coats. Um, that's a big hot heavy coat that they're wearing around. I think they're just holding tight until it's dark or almost dark and cool enough where you know they can feel comfortable moving up, um, up and about while it's, you know, 40 degrees or 50 degrees versus 70. So I think when you get, um, like a big cold front, uh, that moves in, drops the temp 15, 20 degrees. Um, I think that's your time. Uh, you know, it could be enough to just get them up and on their feet half an hour earlier, 15 minutes earlier. And that could be literally the difference between seeing them in daylight and, not seeing them at all so i think when uh when those big cold fronts come through that's probably one of your best times in october maybe throughout the entire season to kill to kill deer okay good can you ever have a cold front like drop the temperature too much i i do think there is something to that especially if it's like rainy nasty windy um you know i almost think it shocks them or they kind of lay low for whatever reason for that first day but as soon as you if it if the second day of that cold is you know beautiful sunny day oh man i feel like that's when they're really up and about but i do think yeah if it's a big drop 20 30 degrees i have i have like you know fully expected i've hunted days like that and fully expected it to just be phenomenal and you end up not seeing a single deer right that was my last friday the heck yeah exactly (laughs) and and honestly this coming weekend like look at yeah 70 degrees tomorrow's supposed to be 50 yeah and And then saturday's supposed to be like 45 so yeah i wouldn't even i wouldn't even bother hunting tomorrow personally well i'd have to take half day of vacation to do it so i'd save my vacation right and just on right but i would i'm i'm expecting saturday's gonna be pretty solid day yeah no yeah my last friday it was it was 80 degrees on monday and it was a high of like 56 on friday and i didn't see a deer that evening and i had i posted that on instagram i had like five or six other people comment and say the same thing and then i had one guy text me the next morning and say that that morning was phenomenal he saw more deer than he's seen all year really 
So, yeah, and I don't, you know, mornings usually aren't that great. Yeah, at the same time, I didn't inquire as to what deer, what type of deer he saw, if he just saw a ton of does or small sure. bucks or mature bucks or anything. But he said he, he had a great morning and uh, he drew back on a doe twice. And he he's a new hunter and he had his uh, he had knock pinch and his arrow fell off of his, <laughs> his string oh. both times he drew back. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I told him uh, he put on some new knocks um, and he just, yeah, he had kind of bit the bullet there but uh but anyway so weather fronts weather fronts if you guys have the opportunity um i mean using that 10-day forecast to really look and see like if you have flexible time off and being able to look out 10 days and be like oh wow next wednesday it's gonna dump from you know 60 degrees down to you know 52 or even 48 or something like that like that's 12 degree swing that's a good day to be out Mm-hmm. and that and especially if you can get clear blue skies and and deer don't necessarily like crappy weather either you know rainy windy like it dulls all their senses so they're not really into moving up and moving around during that time frame either so when you get those nice clear blue skies sunny days good mm-hmm. consistent winds they like those a lot too oh yeah they love it i mean yeah, yeah to your, to your point nice. you know if you have time to take off I'd much rather take a half day, hunt a single afternoon, you know, on a bluebird day after a cold front hits, than hunt a full weekend on a 70 degree day. You know, that's just hot and kind of nasty. You could be doing, you know, harm, I'll call it, by hunting that weekend. You're, I mean, you're doing a lot of education for the deer. Right. Yeah. Versus being, yeah. And that kind of dives into being picky about when you hunt. Right. You know, just, and it depends on that. And that, that's a very in-depth strategy, depending on how much pressure you have on your land and Mm -hmm. how, how precise you need to be. Cause sometimes, I mean, for me, when I was doing a lot of public land hunting, one of my thoughts was like, I don't know if anyone else is going to be out here. So why don't I just be that person that goes and busts it up and just learns that data. And that to your point, like last year I spent, I think I had right around 50 sits. So almost two months I was like out there in the woods and exactly to your point, like the days that were just calm, 70 degrees, you know, under a 10 mile an hour wind, I wasn't seeing anything. Right. Really. I mean, you know, a doe here and there, stuff like that. But after a cold front, you know, or a windy day um, or any sort of weather front, like it just gets them up and moving for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. So then I kind of led into a little bit on pressure. So you hunt your parents' place. Behind your parents' place is a big piece of public that you've hunted a lot of your life. And that experiences a lot of pressure. It's just outside of Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And Madison has a lot of people in it. Uh, and then you also hunt that piece of private. But mm-hmm. like you said, you got 12 people on it for bow season and then 20 to 30 on it for gun season. So what do you do to, uh, help you kind of, kind of split it into two parts, what you do behind your parents to kind of avoid pressure and what you do down at the, down at your property to avoid the other people or to try to maybe not avoid them, but just use that pressure somehow, or how do you deal with it? No, for sure. I think, I mean, my strategy is actually similar on, on both properties and it's avoid, 
you know, I try to avoid people. Um, on the public land by my parents' house, it's also, it's a swamp. <laughs> and actually, you know, early season, typically the bugs are so bad, there's not that much pressure. This is actually a good time to be down there and try to kill a deer. But as okay. you get into late October, early November, the pressure, the hunting pressure really, you know, shoots up. Dude, um, I will jump on that. Last year, like I said, I hunted 50 days. I probably saw like maybe three or four other cars before November. Yeah. November 1st hit and it was like 15 cars. Oh, yeah. 20 cars. I was like, where did all these bow hunters come from? People just started showing up on my trail cameras. Like, what the heck? Yep. So, yep. yeah, getting there before November or oh, even yeah. before, yeah, Halloween can yeah. really relieve a lot of you pressure. Could have, you could have an entire piece of public to yourself for weeks yeah uh, if, it, if it's a big pheasant property you know maybe the pheasant hunters pick up but for the most part deer hunters i've noticed kind of stay out until till that pre-rut rut time frame hits okay so you can use that to your advantage for sure but um the, the place behind my parents is kind of unique where like i say it's, it's marsh there's i don't even know how many acres it is let's call it 200 and there's probably what a 30 acre chunk of woods the rest of it's scrubby brush that front piece? the the poplars sure yeah, yeah. and yep. that's yeah probably where, 30 years. yeah and that's where 90 to 95 percent of all the hunters hunt <laughs> so there's 170 acres of primo i mean it's marsh it's 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 nasty primo deer habitat that goes pretty much untouched and it you know when those guys start go tromping in that woods it pushes the deer out of there they they learn quick to you know they got they got some skirts that they can go right around the edge of that woods and no one's ever going to see them so yeah. Yeah. you know on that property i'm targeting kind of the outskirts of that wood line there's you know there's cattails those deer can slip right through there they could slip 30 yards away from you you never see them a lot of times you hear them you just hear the water kind of you know sloshing around sure yeah no that makes sense i just looked it up on onyx yeah um 128 acres okay what that is okay so So, 128 and that yeah that i just that would got be what 25 30 acres yeah yeah and it's kind of in a point fashion kind of comes out into the marsh in a point just trying to paint the picture for you guys kind of comes out in a point so hunting those edges and then there's also that one island that's out there yeah yeah sure. that's always got that that one guy always hangs his tree stand out there and oh yeah. <laughs> yeah no but um so you know i'm 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 trying to avoid the pressure and sometimes it's in the spots you'd least expect it i mean there's a spot right down below my parents house it's this thin teeny little wood strip that's usually pretty good actually especially um well it's it's pretty good all times of year actually and you know no one ever goes down there part part in fact because they have to walk probably around my parents five acres or whatever it is you know so it ends up being a longer bit of a walk for them first i can just cut straight down but you know it doesn't look that appealing from an aerial view it's just no i'm looking at it right now and i would probably not hunt there (laughs) right exactly yeah but it's it's consistent you know i can't say i've sat down there and seen giant bucks you know on multiple occasions but you know if you're trying to fill a freezer there's those small bucks that come through there 
pretty regularly. So it's kind of what you're after. Sure. But Okay, um, so kind of like picking spots that you just don't think people go yeah. and using – I mean, you you said that everybody uses that wood, that wooded area. So mm-hmm. kind of looking at that and understanding that there's a ton of tracks in there from humans. Yeah. There's a bunch of human trails, human sign. You yeah. know, if you find wrappers or cans or whatever, oh, yeah. that usually means that there's people there. So trying to just like flat out avoid those areas. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, play the wind. If if some, if you know someone's sitting in there and their wind's blowing straight into the bedding area that's in the middle of the woods, you know, sit on the downwind side of that. They're probably going to scoot away from him because they're going to smell him all day. Sure. So you can use no, that, that makes sense. a little bit. Yeah. So then also, yeah, and like you said, use that pressure to your advantage somehow. Yep. So if people are going into that into that woods that's there, then hunt, you know, where if deer are not going to be there, it actually helps you eliminate areas. Like, yeah. okay, so they're not going to be here, so then they got, you know, say they have seven places to go, well, you can cross out that one big one. Now you only got six. So right. you can focus on those six. Yeah. For sure. For no, sure. and I, yeah. I totally agree with that because I ended up my last last year when I was hunting um, that, like I said, that November 1st came in all my spots that were within a mile of the parking lot started to fill up and I had to keep pushing further and further back to just get away from anybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's and that's what I ended up doing. And then also uh, one of the best areas that I could get to was I just had to cross some water but the problem was is that the water was too high for knee-high boots oh so it was like two and a half feet deep you know it wasn't like a foot deep so i just wore hip boots out there and i could just walk right across that just fine but i never saw anybody on the other side of that people Mm -hmm. just they just don't go across that so if you find water i know that really helped me like i was hunting a marsh too and there was one other guy that i would see every now and then um but he never made it over there and one of the other things is that when people make it back that far i've noticed so like if you're like oh i'm gonna get back there and i'm gonna you know truck all the way back there and i'm gonna get further than anybody else then you get back there a mile and you find the first spot that looks good (laughs) that's usually the spot where anybody else goes because i know there's one area there's like one little oak island that when you get back there, it's almost, it's just over a mile. Yeah. I see people sit there all the time. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, it's, I'd call it even a, it's like a trend right now. Right. It's like, dude, yeah. You blow by a mile of good land just to get a mile back. And then like you say, as soon as you're a mile back, you assume like, oh, no one's ever been here. And so that's where you set up. Well, if you go another quarter mile or if you went another quarter mile shorter, like dynamite area yeah definitely agree and i call those spots like i call them bait spots Mm because they bait you into sitting there because they look so good but other people sit there all the time um and my my strategy is i always try that i'm i'm lazy so i always like to go the closest spot first i mean if i can find one of my favorite spots that i hunt is not even a five minute walk from my truck i bet you it's like 60 yards from my truck as the crow flies, <laughs> but I see deer there all oh, the time. Yeah. Yeah, Every time I go, it. it's because no one else goes there. Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. it's right there. Exactly. You know, so if I'm running late in the morning or something, I'm just like, yep, I'm just bopping in here. <laughs> just, 
because I'm usually good for at least a doe or two and then sometimes some small bucks. I got some decent bucks on camera, but it's always at night, you know. Yeah, later. But uh but yeah. So anything else you want to add on pressure? Oh, talk about uh your your private property with pressure. Yeah, so, I mean so kind of the same thing, but it's it's kind of the same thing. Um the bigger thing there is, you know. A lot of people use it for recreation too. There's guys, you know, four wheeling and driving around on side by sides or hiking or doing whatever. It it usually slows down in the fall, but um, kind of same story. You know, there's there's a central hub we'll call it where there's a lot of four wheeler activity throughout the summer. I usually don't start hunting that stuff until, yeah, they're usually completely out of there in November, and I'll pick it up pick up that area then. Um, I'll go to the outskirts of the property though. Um, usually the far edges, especially ones where like there's, there's overgrown four wheel trails to get to them. So you could walk those trails, but you're kind of walking through the woods, which I don't like doing. Um, but you can't four wheel through them. So you have to come along like a ridge and walk whatever, 800 yards along the edge of a cornfield. Cause you can't, this corn's still standing, you know, you can't drive a truck back there. But sure. nobody else goes back there. I mean, it's it's a hike, right? So those are the kind of areas that I usually um, target at least this time of year until the crop until the crop comes off. But sure. just again, hard to access type stuff. So do you? And this is kind of one of those other things. I always find it funny, um, and I'm kind of leading you to water on this. But in terms of like the pressure and hunting around other people that hunt the property. They're all kind of family, right? For you, they're all cousins and uncles yeah. and whatnot. Do you guys share? Do you guys fully share all your trail camera pictures? <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually, usually we end up all kind of sitting around a fire with a couple cases of bush light, and then the pictures start flowing. But uh, you know, there's been some surprises over the years where all of a sudden someone was getting pictures of one all year long, and no one else ever knew about it. <laughs> I was, yeah, I always find that hilarious. I'm like, yeah, these guys are all on the same property, and they're like competing against each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's usually pretty good, but there's there's instances. Yeah, well, I know, I know you are a common perpetrator of that. No, <laughs> no, never. Um, <laughs> uh, but oh, one of the other things I noticed that you do really well on that property as well is uh you do like hanging hunts as well. Yeah. So you so you know, you guys have like let's just say 20 stands throughout the property. You keep a hanging hunt to yeah. go hunt areas of the farm that nobody's touched or there's no tree stand in. Yep. Yep. I purposely lead people away from some areas uh if we're looking for stands to or new stand sites. <laughs> Cleverly, <laughs> no, you know, no, about being blunt. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. No, there's there's some areas that I like um, that we we don't have stands. I never uh, suggest hanging stands there. You know, if someone was going to go hang one there, I'm not going to like stop them. But right. they're nice. Um, they're nice little spots for uh, for hanging hunts. There's yeah yeah we probably have yeah 20, 20 permanent stands. Sounds about right. Um, okay. But there's some chunks, you know, 30 acres, 20, 25 acres that don't have a stand anywhere near them. And they're just kind of primo hanging hunt spots. Or even like I've hung stands 50 yards away from a permanent stand. 
it's just like something about the wind's a little different or they've been using a different trail sure. i just need to i just need to locate a little bit i don't want to go through the effort of pulling that stand down and then putting it back up somewhere else i'll just go in with a nice lightweight set and set it up 50 yards away sure yeah yeah no and and if they get used to you being in one area you know yeah. they're always seeing hunter in this tree yeah just yeah, moving that sure. little bit can throw them off and they can come by and look oh there's no one there you yeah, know you do that. i mean guys see deer physically stop and look up in in like a permanent stand site and they'll be sure. sitting somewhere else and watch it happen and then the deer will see that it's empty and they'll keep going it's like i can't say i've ever seen that before but i guess i mean if you if you hunted a spot a lot <laughs> they're gonna learn yeah. eventually yeah they'll figure out that you're there yeah that makes sense um okay one of the other things i wanted to touch on was like uh using scents and using like or having scent control so what do you let's start with uh scents do you use anything like doe and estrus or any sort of scent to help you out i used to i used to use doe and estrus um you know i've used a lot of the brands and honestly, I can't say I've ever had luck, root, well, repeatable luck, you know, with any one of them. Some, you know, every once in a while you get a little, a small buck that comes kind of trotting in right on your scent trail. Like if you're doing a, uh, a drag line or something coming in, but I've never had, I don't know if I've ever had a, a buck, you know, if I hang a, a scent rag out 20, 30 yards, I don't think I've ever had a buck, you know, stop, smell smell the air from a hundred yards away and come trotting into that yeah um just I, real quick what is uh for everybody listening um just how many like you're saying like you're talking about your experience with bucks how many like mature bucks have you killed and just real quick what do you guys like how have you done i i know the answer but i just want to give it to the listeners how many have i killed like ever yeah yeah like like um, why like essentially your credential in in talking about big sure. bucks um well i'm usually good for at least one buck every year you know not always a giant but i've got four four shoulder mounters uh you know over 135 uh biggest one's 160 um got a whole handful of um bucks in these past probably six or seven years that are in that kind of 120 to 130 range um okay. but we've you know that's just me and then on that property we've killed oh double that yeah. in the past you know four or five six years sure every every okay. year on that property yeah. there's there's usually a, a wall hanger the shot yeah no and i just want i mean you know, in 15 years of hunting, you're, are you 28 or 29? 29. You just turned 29. Yeah. 29. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so that'd be 16 years of hunting. You've got four shoulder mounted plus like seven or eight of those or six to seven of those one twenties to one thirty. So you got, you see plenty of good box, which a, a lot of people who listen and a lot of new hunters would just like, I mean, yeah. a 120 and they'd poop their pants, oh, okay. <laughs> you yeah, know, sure. like. Sure. I had that, you know, the other day I filmed that, 
like that eight point under me and he's probably like 115 120 range and yeah. i had a bunch of messages like why would you let that shooter walk <laughs> yeah, you know man. and it's like well i'm after that crazy non-typical and you right. get one buck tag <laughs> right, so right. but uh um, still early yeah yeah it's still early but anyway continue continue on about the about sense you haven't ever had like that repeatable success with sense uh, so but, yeah yeah just in a nutshell i've never i don't think at least i've like can say that i've actually attracted a deer with like an estrus scent okay but that being so i've i've stopped using estrus scents but i've started using and probably the past four or five years i'll soak um just a rag in buck urine and it's usually like a a long you know longer rag that's thin that i just cut off a shirt or whatever like and a foot also, long to two yeah. feet long yeah yep. something that's like you can drape over a branch pretty easy and i'll soak a whole um you know i'll dump a whole bottle of urine in a in a bag a ziploc bag or whatever and soak that and, and i'll bring that with me every day and i actually just i pull it out and hang it in the tree with me or i'll just okay. you know if there's a branch within reaching distance i'll just kind of drape it over that branch and i'm not really doing that for an attractant by any means but it's more i've had a lot of deer that come downwind to me clearly downwind and you can tell i mean they're they get nervous all of a sudden they get in the wind stream and their attitude changes and it's kind of like oh you know he's gonna bust me or she's gonna bust me and most of the time, I mean, if, if I'm not using that urine rag, they're gone. They bolt. Game over. Sure. Right? That urine rag, for whatever reason, I don't know if it overpowers them or calms them down. Maybe they think there's a mature buck in the area, and if he's there, that means that they're okay. But you can tell they smell me. and But instead of turning and blowing, they'll kind of just keep going. And, you know, they, they have a different attitude. There's no doubt. It's not like, it's not like I, I beat them. It's, I didn't beat their nose, you know. But something about that kind of has them keep going on their way. So, yeah. So they smell you and they're nervous, but they're not, like, terrified. They're like, well, you're something weird. I don't know what you are, but I don't think you're going to kill me. So I'll just keep going, but I'll keep an eye on you. Yeah, and they're nervous. You know, you'll watch them for 50 yards or 100 yards, and they're nervous, and then they'll be looking back. They're trying to figure out what's going on. But then then as they go out of sight, you know, it seems like it's fine. Right. Um, no, thought, yeah, keeps them yeah, from blowing you. Yeah, exactly. And my thought with that is to, you know, tame, you know, that same scenario that we were talking about at the beginning of this thing. If you're hunting a trail that's downwind of you, but you're trying to, just beat the wind you want any sure. of those first deer to be able to come by and just keep going don't turn around and blow out where you just came from you know? right right so yeah, that's no that that's makes kind sense. of the main the main reason for that it's not not to attract it's more to cover okay cool uh what about um scent control for like your clothing and everything do you yeah. do anything i i wash my clothes with tide <laughs> <laughs> I stopped using this the scent free stuff, honestly. It Okay. I feel like, you know, you'd go you go for a 
a week stretch or a really, you know, four or five day weekend and you get done and clothes just stink, like pretty nasty sometimes when I use the scent free stuff. If I use Tide, okay. I feel like it just stays fresher longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay. I'll go, I'll, I spray down, you know, I don't know if I, I don't have a hundred percent belief in that. I feel like if there's any like super strong smell on my clothes, maybe it'll cut it down at least. Um, you know, I've, I've used nose jammer in the past. I've had, I've actually had pretty good luck with nose jammer. Kind of the same deal as that buck urine I was talking about. Sure. It's enough to just make them kind of hesitate and keep going. I've, yeah, I have that. Yeah. I had that same experience with nose jammer last year. I had, um, I was watching a buck. It was that like small double drop tine. Yeah, and yeah. I had, he was bedded down at 50 yards and I was trying to get a shot. I couldn't get a shot or anything at him. And I had five does come out and they were coming right at me and they were going to come right past me and, and walk behind me, which would be downwind. So I saw that coming. And at like 60 yards, I actually pulled out nose jammer and sprayed my bag and sprayed my tree yep. and everything. Yep. And that lead doe, she picked me hard. <laughs> Yeah, at like 12 yards, she picked me and she knew and I just sat as still as I could and she just flipped her nose up and just kept flipping it up and she couldn't, I don't know, but after like what seemed like forever, it was probably like two minutes, she was just like, huh, and just kept going. And you can, I mean, she was a big, mature, you know, lead doe and she had a couple fawns with her and another couple like probably year and a half, two and a half year old does with her. and they none of them busted me and i'd like so that was my big that was my big aha moment with that nose jammer stuff and it doesn't work 100 percent of the time i'm not going to say it does but i know for a fact that i stunk because that was almost a two mile walk into that spot (laughs) and i sweat like a mother (laughs) so i knew that that was not yeah and you gotta think i mean if that was if that was the biggest buck of your life or your your target buck or whatever and it was enough to just make them hesitate in right. my mind, that's a win. It could yeah. be a hesitation long enough to just pull the trigger. Versus right. I've had them come in. I mean, they don't even pause. They're walking towards you, and they'll literally spin around in the same freaking step, and they're gone. <laughs> right. Yep, like they I'm catch out. a whiff, and it's like no hesitation. See you later. Yeah. So from that okay. standpoint, it's a win. Yeah. Yeah. So minimal, minimal scent control is what you, you just play the wind, play the wind, play the thermals and just, yeah. Let oh, I actually, huh, I bought an Ozonics last year. The, uh, Oh Ozone really? Pairing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, How did that go? Like I used it all last season. Um, I had pretty good luck, pretty good results with it. I stopped. Um, no, I didn't stop using the buck urine. I kept using the buck urine. I think I started use off using um, nose jammer just like on my boots, but okay. I eventually stopped with the nose jammer. So it's just the Ozonics and the buck urine. I, I had good results. I mean, I can't. Yeah. Nothing's coming to my mind that like got downwind to me and just took off like a bat out of hell. You know, I, I definitely didn't have deer just all the time walking downwind of me like I was never there but it was kind of the same deal I mean they kind of sit there and sniff around a little bit be like hmm something's not right here and then they just keep going okay so 
seem to yeah. work. I mean, I can't say it's any better than Nose Jammer or better than just the Bakuman trick, but but it seemed to work. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna use it again this year. Let's put it that way. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um. All right, and then so just to kind of, I wanted to. We're almost getting to an hour and a half here, so I want to kind of wrap it up a little bit. So if you're hunting in October right now, tell me what you're going to be doing for the next 20 days, which would put you to essentially Halloween. 20 days. So, yeah. How are your, you know, like how are your tactics going to change or what are you going to target? What are you going to look for in the next, you know, 20 days? Because right now it's going to be different than what you're hunting in Halloween. Yeah. So, I mean, assuming that I'm, you know, not able to hunt every single day, right? I have a job, I have a life. Um, I have a drive <laughs> to get to the place now. Um, I'm going to be hunting really selectively, uh, waiting for the weather fronts, waiting for, you know, a good wind. But my big thing, I try to, and I, you know, I've been really bad this year, just with heading out west and all that i haven't even checked my cameras since like early september but on a normal year i'm gonna try to just lean on those cameras check them regularly and i'm putting my cameras in you know relatively easy to access type spots where you can either drive a vehicle to them or just walk across the field where you don't have to go in the woods check the camera get out of there um but i'm trying to figure out for and this is for me you know I'm, I, I would say I'm generally hunting a mature deer, um, but I'm trying to figure out, you know, how's he using an area? I try to identify where he's bedding. Why is he bedding there? You know, is he only bedding on that hillside when there's a south wind, when there's a north wind, like what's going on? Why is he there? And I'm just trying to get daylight pictures of him. And then I just analyze the crap out of those pictures, see, you know, where's it coming from? Where's he going? What time is it? Obviously, is he with other deer, have other deer, you know, did other deer pass through that camera an hour before he did? Like, it's not just a single image you're looking at. You kind of got to look at the whole day, see what's going on. And I'm waiting for a weather system that then replicates that. And that's okay. sitting. So you're not even, you're not, you're not even going saying, you're not even saying I'm hunting field edges and then I'm going to hunt scrapes. Then I'm going to hunt, you know, travel corridors. You're just saying whatever the trail cameras show me, that's where I'm going to be. Yeah. I'd, I'd say most of the time that ends up on field edges, just cause like I say, that's where I'm, where I'm running most of my cameras just in okay. easy to access type spots. Sure. Field edges. Um, so yeah, more often than not, it ends up on field edges. And like I say, if, if you got like, like we have a green alfalfa field, it's actually on the neighbor's field this year, but it's like primo spot to draw the deer by like one of my favorite stands to get to it. So that's been like a high, high on the hit list type area, right? Okay. Where sure. I'm on that food source right now, but I'm leaning on those trail cameras on when to hunt that food source. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. So then if, if you're, so if you're talking to somebody, say I'm, I'm a brand new hunter and I don't have 10 trail cameras out or I don't even, I don't have any, yep. what, what, what would your advice be to me 
for the next 20 days, like how, where should I hunt and how should I hunt? And I'm not going to use any trail cameras. I just got to go out and I got to start f- trying to figure this out. You just want to kill a deer. I want to kill, I want to kill a deer and yeah, let's just start with that. I want to kill a deer. Cause yeah. that's, that's a great question though. Cause a lot of people don't understand that mature deer are different than oh, yeah. a deer. Oh, yeah, so 100%. like, yeah, when a buck turns, essentially like three and a half is kind of the mid range, yeah. but a four and a half year old buck is 100% different in his behavior and habits than a two and a half year old buck. Oh yeah. Like, like two and a half year old bucks and younger fall into the category of a deer. If you just want to kill a deer, yeah. then they're going to be in certain areas. But if you're trying to kill a mature buck, it's totally different. So let's, that's a great point, Parker. Let's uh, talk about a deer first. What are you going to do? Like, I'm just a new hunter. I want to, I want to kill a doe, a buck. I don't care. I just want to fill my freezer up and, and kill my first deer. Yeah. And, and to add on that, I guess, before we go, like, you know, we have the property that I hunt, I would consider it like pretty good property. Like nothing really wrong with it. Right. Yeah. Um, it obviously could be better. It could be a heck of a lot worse though. Last year, I think was one of, no, last year was the first year I saw multiple mature bucks that I couldn't get shots at. (laughs) Right. So I see, let's say I saw 50 different deer throughout the year and I saw like seven, I think mature bucks, which a normal year for me is like one or two. And usually I'm flinging an arrow at one. Right. This was, it was a weird, like, it was a cool year because I had so many sightings, but it was a frustrating year because it was the first time I've had that many sightings and not shot. <laughs> a nice one. Yeah. So, just to put it into perspective. Okay. Like, sure. So, I'm, mature deer are not around every tree. Like, it takes a lot of time. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, and they're just not out in a food plot every single night like oh, yeah. a TV yeah, show right. would make you believe. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> this is this is reality, right? And and when you're on public land, you know, sometimes it's even harder. But yeah. that being said, you know, hunting behind my parents' house, I've seen a ton of mature deer. I've had opportunities at a bunch of them. I've killed some of them. It happens. You just got to put the time in. So... Anyways, back to the main question. Um, yeah. You know, let's pretend these guys are going to be hunting public land. They're trying to kill a deer. The strategy I would take, you know, scout online first. Just look for a lot of times you can, you know, if, if you're hunting a marshy or grassy area, you'll see the trails from like Google Earth or whatever. They're good starting points. You know, is it a, is it a spot that I'm going to sit every single day? No good spot to start um sure. but i'm gonna go in and i know we've talked about this a lot is is doing setups that are almost like scouting missions but you're hunting you're setting up in an area where you can see quite a ways right one two maybe 300 yards for sure okay. 100 yards um but you're just looking you know day one look to find deer you got your bow with you you know set up 20 yards 10 yards off the trail whatever you need you might have one come through you never know you might get lucky but i want to be able to see what's going on try to kind of figure out okay where are they coming from where are they going to and again always asking the question why you know is is the wind sure. when they're when they're going from point a to point b they walking into the wind or they walking 
with the wind, like what's going on. What are you trying to see when you set up and you want to see a hundred yards? Are you trying to look at a CRP field? Or are you trying to look through the woods a hundred yards? What are you trying to do? Um, you know, if you can see a hundred yards in the woods, that's like, that's pretty nice. I would, okay. I would try for that, but you know, that's, that's tough sometimes, especially this time of year when, it, when there's still a fair amount of leaves on the tree. Yeah. So a lot of times, yeah, it's on, it's on edges. Um, okay. If you can, if you can look over, see a whole CRP field, you know, bring your binoculars and watch, watch the edges of the field, you know, don't expect them to just come trotting across the wide open CRP. You might have a deer that comes out to an edge on the far side of the field and actually like almost like dips back in a little bit and just kind of walks like there could be a trail just inside the woods that they're walking. Right. So you're just okay. always looking, right? And you can sit behind your binos the whole time and just look through your binos. Just scan the field edges the whole time. But I'm like I say, I'm just trying to I'm trying to see deer and see like what exactly is going on. How are they using an area? And you know, if you get lucky, you got your bow with you and you got one that comes by, you be ready. Sure. But, uh, okay. And like I say, take take notes on what the weather's doing, how they're playing the wind, if at all. And, uh, you know. So essentially, day. yeah. So essentially sit back, kind of kind of get in there, get to an area where you can see and kind of do an observation set with your bow. You yeah. might get lucky. But I just try to sit out there and collect data. Yep, exactly. Essentially what you're saying. Sit out there, collect data. And if yeah. you don't, like you say, you sit that CRP field and you don't see anything, then move to a different field or move into the woods next yes. time. Yes. Okay. And sure. You know, play the wind. Don't don't have the wind. Don't have your wind blowing out into where you're looking. And okay. Expect sure. to see deer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't. You know, maybe maybe on these first sits, it doesn't matter where the wind is blowing, but don't have it blowing where you're looking. Because <laughs> right. Sure. No, that makes sense. So always, yeah, wherever you're going, like take the trail in wherever you're going, and then always turn into the wind and go that way. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, make, make your approach where maybe you got to loop around a little bit or sure. You know, don't just walk through an area and then turn around 180 degrees and then hunt, you know, right where you just walk through. Yeah. No, sometimes that works, but you know, I would probably loop around instead. Yeah. Okay. So do those observation sets, collect the data. And then based on that, just make a game plan and figure out where they're coming in and out and then go in. Yeah. You know, let's say you were able to hunt every day for the next 20 days i would assume these first three four or five days you're you're doing that every day just okay try to try to figure the deer out and then day four five six you know get in there and get on top of them. okay no that makes a lot of sense um and, <laughs> you know on another note i grew up i mean i'd get home from school and grab my five gallon bucket and go trudging down the marsh and find the biggest deer trail I could find that cut through the cattails and I'd walk it for like 50 yards and I'd set up right in the middle of the thing. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't looking back, I wouldn't do it again like that, but I saw a ton of deer doing that. I just never got shots because by the time I saw them, they saw me and they were about to run me over. You know? <laughs> so yeah. you could do something like that and then just get, 10 yards off the tail you know it was a marshy area sure. where i would hear them coming i'd be i'd sit there and be ready but as soon as they'd pop their head through the cattails they'd be 
six yards away, you know. And <laughs> right. Jeez. No, that makes a lot of sense. But, yeah, I mean, uh, you don't you don't need super equipment to do this stuff, you know. You grab your bow and a in a bucket. And right. Do it. No, yeah, I mentioned in one of the in the very first first or second podcast, I talked about. There's only five. I should know this, but I talked about tree stands, and the last thing I said was. The last thing I d- discussed was just shooting a five-gallon bucket. I actually mentioned you in that real nice, like, 140-incher you shot off a bucket. Yeah. yeah. You know, right on that piece of public. Just walked yeah. out there, plopped down a bucket, and away you went. Like, Oh, yeah. That's, and I've yeah, you don't up need... it's way more than that. <laughs> right? Tree stands are nice because you, you get up high and you can see a lot from there and you right. can observe a lot, but you don't have to have them, you nope. know? I know people who just stand against trees. Or just, you know, sit on a log. I've done that before, too. You forget or you, you like, forget your tree stand straps or something like that. You're like, well, shoot, now I'm just sitting on a log or something like that. Yeah. Or I'm just sitting on the yeah. ground. Whatever it is, like, you can still get out there and observe. Oh, yeah. One of the... been, I never did it, but there was, like, always times where I was like, man, all I need to do is bring a tree stand, literally set it up, like, three feet off the ground, and then just shimmy into that thing. And that'd be just enough to kind of get my head over the top of some of this brush and be able to see, you know, that, that hundred yard observation. Sure. It's like when you're on the ground, that's your head's right at the dense vegetation height. So just getting up a few feet could be enough. Right. No, that makes sense. And one of the things I've gotten a few messages on this through Instagram as well, it's like, I'm not, I'm doing those observation tits and I'm not seeing anything, you know, when that happens, you just got to keep moving. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep trying. I mean, patience is everything. And just because you sit in a spot one night, you know, you might try that again and you might not see anything. You might try that again. You might not see anything. And then the fourth time you see 15 deer, you know, deer have cycles and they move. They have their own patterns on what pieces of property they are on and how they move throughout a piece. And they might come through a field once every six days. And you might just happen to be on that field edge you know day one two three and four and then you leave it on day six and i'm not saying you need to stay in one spot the whole time but keep moving you know patience is everything in this you know a lot of people think like oh i got deer on trail camera i should be able to kill them and it's just not the case no 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 i mean you gotta you just be patient keep moving stay stay mobile keep trying different areas and just learn learn and collect as much data as you can because at some point you know what i would really helped me was i actually marked a ton of stuff on onyx maps every time i'd see deer every time i'd find a bed or a scrape or anything and when you're looking at that thing from an aerial view you can sometimes start to pick out patterns okay yeah. i'm seeing deer do this in the morning and do this in the evening and they're all kind of coming from this general area that must be the bedding area you know or they're all going to this general area and just collecting all that data to start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And then and then you, at some point, you'll have that aha moment where you're like, oh, man, this is the spot. This is a great spot. And then, bam, you go there and you're starting to see deer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. collecting that data is huge. And, and one of the other things that I'm sure you'll attest to this is the more you learn a property, the better you get. Oh, yeah. On, all day. Like, yep. Yeah, these first, you know for any first timers that are going out you know don't get frustrated you could go a whole week without even seeing a deer but as long as you're taking note on it i mean you should be learning each time maybe you're not seeing them because 
I don't know, maybe set up too close to their bedding area and actually busted them out of there as you were walking in, you know? Right. Or it's like, yeah, maybe you just needed to move another 50 yards farther and you'd be able to actually see where they're at. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to your point, like you might sit a week, like that would be seven days, seven sits. That's not like a weekend sit or something like that. I mean, I go plenty of weekends without seeing deer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I've sat six times this year and I've seen two deer both on the same sit. So, you know, it's not like you find deer every single time, but every single time, like Parker's saying, you're gathering data and you're analyzing and you're figuring stuff out. You know, that's, that's the big piece of it is, is just gathering all those pieces and gathering as much information as you can to start making the, the right choices on where to sit and when to sit. You know, that's the big piece. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, we're at an hour and 40 minutes. Definitely by far the longest podcast <laughs> I've had. We went a little a over lot scared. of information. <laughs> I know. And you and I can sit here. We do have these conversations I anyway. I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface of it, too. It's yeah. Like, I know. There's so much to go over. So we'll, you know, um, I'll have Parker back on plenty of times to to talk about different things as as the season progresses and different hunting tactics that you can apply. But essentially... You know, right now, like Parker said, make your observation sits, use your trail cameras to tell you where to go. Keep an eye on those scrapes for sure. Rubs aren't as important as scrapes. Food sources are still a great choice right now. Uh, if you can find them, those those green food sources, alfalfa, food plots, your acorns. And then the f- weather fronts are huge. You know, if you can get out, you might not see, you might be in a spot for you know, and hunt it three, four times and not see a deer. And then a weather front comes through and then you see 10 deer, mm-hmm. you know, weather fronts can play a huge role in that. So keep an eye on the weather and then, um, you know, scent control, just play the wind. That's both of our suggestions there. And, uh, lastly, as far as pressure goes, uh, just try to avoid it. Do your best to figure out where people are and use it to your advantage and try to avoid it. So that's kind of it. You know, wrapping this thing up, Parker, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, we will catch you next time. (laughs) All right, see you guys later. Oh, hey, real quick, if you like this, uh, check out my Instagram. It's DeerVane. Check out Facebook. It's also DeerVane. Give this podcast a review if you would. Uh, Say whatever you want. Maybe give me a few stars. That'd be fantastic. Recommend it to your friends if, you know, you think they can gain some value of it. And uh, and yeah, that's it. Catch you guys later.